0: 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 8. Uh, it's it's that passage that you hear at every wedding. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 8. And the word of God reads, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, or boast it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we take uh, a one-week recess from our series in Mark's Gospel, and we study 1 Corinthians 13 on Christmas Eve, uh, Father, we pray that during this time uh, that we would come to unpackage, understand, and be transformed. Uh, by the love that you revealed through the person and work of Christ our Lord uh, during this incarnation, this time of incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas, uh, Lord, we, we we celebrate the revelation of your love as you begin the rescue mission to save humanity from your wrath and from ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that as we unpackage this verse that we've just we've heard so many times, um, not just at church but even in the world. Uh, This is a celebrated passage, uh, but Lord, help us to understand the significance of why this passage should be celebrated so. So Lord, I ask you to watch over the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I I don't have many friends. (laughs) I know that's a weird thing to start a sermon off with. I don't have many close, like, friends. I have, like, Pastor Alvin, um, and then maybe like eh, outside of church, like you're all my friends, but outside of church, uh, I only have really like a handful of friends. Uh, One of those friends, he's a dear, close colleague of mine, um, and we are, I would say, work best friends. I know that's weird to say as well, but he's my work bestie. Uh, And one of the reasons that we're so close, ironically, is because we disagree on everything. Uh, there is not much that we agree on. Uh, this friend and I, we disagree on religion. We disagree on politics and major world events. We disagree on you know, our views on you know the Israeli-Palestinian war, the Russian-Ukrainian war. We disagree on everything. Politically, he is a left-wing liberal. For me, I'm a right-wing conservative. Complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Um... But he's someone I've come to respect and admire. Because no matter how much we argue and how much we debate each other, uh, I see his heart. He really wants the better society. He really wants society as a whole to be able to improve. And one of the reasons I came to respect him so much, even though he's not a Christian, we don't share many you know, political views. We don't share much in common. Uh, One of the reasons I came to respect him was because I saw how much he loved and sacrificed for his family, his wife and his children. Uh, I would say, in terms of integrity, outside of brothers I meet in the church, this this guy was just—he's the—he's the model, like of anyone that you would want a husband or a father to be. If I were to point at anyone, it would be this guy. This guy woke up early in the morning. You know, his job isn't easy. But he would push himself to wake up, go to work, work hard, so that his children could have a better future, so that his wife could have a better future. I used to tell my wife, you know, out of all the guys I know, this 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 is a good guy. I know the Bible says that no one is good, no, not one. But it's like in a worldly sense, this is a good guy. Like I respect him. He he, he is the model husband, the model father. And so, it came to my shock one day uh, when I found out that he had separated from his wife. At some point, uh, it it came to me. People shared with me, and eventually he shared with me that his wife uh, had decided that she wanted a divorce. And they filed for divorce papers, but for the sake of their children, uh, they decided until they graduate from high school, that they wouldn't tell the children. That they would live in the same house, he would live on the bottom floor, she would live on the top floor, and just for the sake of the children, uh, until they finished high school and became adults, they would keep it under wraps. And this really, really broke my heart. Um, There's not a I'm not like a... Really emotional guy, normally, but when I heard about what happened to him, it broke my heart because, as a guy, uh, like I, I provide for my wife, I know the struggles, how hard it is when work gets hard, when everything gets hard. You, 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 like for husbands and fathers, I'm not saying that wives aren't like this as well, but for husbands and fathers, you have that responsibility that you have to take care of your family. And so, I could only imagine what was going through his mind that you know, 25 years he'd sacrificed to provide for his wife and his family. Emotionally, he was just invested in his kids. He loved his wife. And then to be told by the one person that you're meant to be one flesh with for the rest of your life, that she wants no part of you. I could only imagine what he'd been going through. And it's a tragedy. Not just because it's a you know a family that's been broken, But because any loveless relationship, in my opinion, is a tragedy. A loveless marriage, especially, is a tragedy. Like anyone that's had their parents' divorce, I remember growing up, uh, I watched my parents break up, and I never thought that would happen. Because when you look at your parents, you just kind of see this solid unit that you can rely on, that you can trust in for the rest of your life. Nothing. This is the one thing in one area in my life that's never gonna be shaken. And then when the divorce happens, it's not just the fact that the foundation of your family has just been rocked and shaken up. But the thought, like as a child, I remember the thought that my mother and my father had fallen out of love. Like that still hurts me to today. Uh, and I share all of this with you, Not, I know it's a depressing way to start a sermon, but I share all this with you, is because when we look at the Corinthian church, Paul is writing this letter, and this passage, this this celebrated passage on love. He's actually writing this to a loveless church. He didn't write this because love in the Corinthian church was going well. He wrote this because the Corinthian church was anything but loving. This was a church that had immense problems. If you read the first twelve chapters of One Corinthians, you find that this this was a church that had been rocked by sexual immorality scandals. Uh, they were a church that was divided against each other because they 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 liked different leaders. Some people like Paul. Some people like the polis, Some people like well, you know, what, you like a policy like Paul. I'm with Jesus. Very yeah. And they created like subdivisions within the church. They they were divided about what worship should look like. They were divided on how spiritual gifts should be exercised. Uh, It was a very toxic environment, and no one in this church was the least bit interested on being united. They were okay with being divided. And it's in the context of this division, this conflict, this fighting, that Paul reaches a climax in his letter in chapter 13 by writing about this topic of love. Uh, And for anyone that's been in the church for any length of time, you know that the love that he describes in the Greek, it's that word agape love. Uh, If you don't know what agape love is, it's it's God's type of love. You might have seen it on Korean Bibles, they have a brand name called the Agape Bible. Um, But it's God's love for us. That's what agape love is. And agape love is an unconditional love. And this is really important to remember that this love in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 is an unconditional love. Because when we compare it to the world's love, the world's love is very, very conditional. The world's cl- world's love, the Greek has two words to describe the type of love with which the world loves. An eros love or a phileo love, which we get the word, you know, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, phileo and adelphos. And phileo and eros love, they're kind of like a sensual love or a brotherly love. But unlike agape love, eros and phileo love, the world's love, it's a conditional love. It's a love that says, I love you because... Dot, 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 dot. Agape love is simply, and I love you because I love you. And believe it or not, even though eros and phileo love is the worldly kind of love, humanity, I think all people, all of humanity deep down, even though agape love is foreign to them, I think for all people deep down, they desire agape love. They do. Everyone, even if they're not a Christian, even if they haven't grown up in the church, when we look to unconditional love, I love you no matter what, We look at that, and we're like, yes, that's what it's meant to look like. And we know this, because today's passage is probably one of the most celebrated passages in the world when it comes to love. Even unbelievers who read 1 Corinthians 13, they're moved by the purity of Paul's description on love. Earlier this year, I had the privilege of preaching at my first ever wedding. I was so nervous. But before the wedding started, I, I walked around and I started speaking with all the people that had been invited. And probably about 80% of them had never gone to church. And I, like with every most pastors, I preach from 1 Corinthians 13. And afterwards, I spoke to them. They said, that was the most beautiful passage on love I've ever heard. Why? They're not Christians. I think the reason is because Paul taps into something that all human souls desire. And so as we go through today's passage, we see Paul writing these words, remember, to a church that was not loving. And Paul writes chapter 13 as the climax Or the solutions to all of the problems that he mentions in the preceding twelve chapters, and as usual, uh, I want to unpackage today's sermon using points, and I'm going to share three points with you, not at the end, but as we go throughout the sermon, uh, to help us understand uh, this chapter. And the first point I want to establish as we begin uh, by looking at verses one to three, is this point that agape love, God's love is what brings true meaning to our lives. If you read the opening three verses, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I gain nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, Paul begins these opening three verses by targeting all aspects of human function. Verse 1, he writes about speaking. Verse 2, he writes about knowing. Verse 3, he writes about doing. These are three human functions that govern our interaction with God and govern our interaction with each other. And Paul is explaining that even if you reach the pinnacle of human potential when it comes to all of these abilities, abilities, if you don't have love, in the absence of love, then all of it, no matter how good of a person you are, all human function is devoid of meaning and value in the eyes of God. Through the lenses of the gospel, a life that is lived in the absence of agape love, according to Paul, is a life that is wasted. And this isn't just true for unbelievers, but for believers as well. Because remember, Paul's not writing this to atheists. He's writing this to faith-professing, Bible-believing Christians. And I've served in many churches uh, where there's been a lot of infighting. Like, to the point where you would read 1 Corinthians and you'd be like, compared to what I've seen, this is pretty tame. Uh, I've seen some very toxic environments in churches where hatred uh, dictated the words and actions of certain individuals. I've been in churches where the violence, there was so much physical violence that the local police had to show up on a weekly basis to break up brawls and punch-ups that had occur. There were seeds of conflict constantly being sown by people that enjoyed causing division. And most of the time, this type of behaviour was demonstrated by people who hadn't truly experienced or been transformed by the power of agape love. These people were intent on destroying each other instead of encouraging and exhorting each other to grow in the faith. John 13.35, Jesus describes the key distinguishing feature of a true disciple. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. According to today's passage, an absence of love, according to Paul, is a tragedy. God's people are to be transformed to love like Him, and to live with an absence of love, God's love, is really to live with an absence of meaning and value in the eyes of god it's god's agape love that gives meaning to the lives of humanity otherwise according to paul it's a wasted life point number 2 agape love is a humanly impossible love let me read verses 47 love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it's not arrogant or rude doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Uh, now, I've mentioned my wife in a lot of my sermons, and probably today's no different. I'm going to mention her again. Uh, but I don't know, some of you know how my wife and I started dating. Um, and if I were to be completely honest with you, as a pastor, this is my confession. Uh, my attraction to her began because I thought she was pretty. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend like there was some like holy calling that God was like, this one, Jane." I thought she was really... I still do. I think she's... yeah, she's not here. <laughs> and, you know, some people say, I fell in love with this woman because of her inner beauty. And a lot of people were shocked when I said I just I, I pursued her because I thought she was pretty. They're like, what about her inner beauty? I was like, well, when you first see someone, you don't see their inner beauty. Like, inner beauty isn't what catches your attention. Um, but I'll confess, I fell in love with her because of her outer beauty, not because of her inner beauty. And so I bought a plane ticket to Korea. Like, I spoke to her on the phone. She lived in Korea. We would video call each other. And then at some point, I was like, you know what, I can't, I can't do this. I've got to fly to Korea, and I have to make this happen. So I bought a ticket to Korea, met her for dinner, and I said, I, I want to start a relationship with you. I uh, did this not knowing if she'd accept me or reject me. Uh, it was purely done off the motivation that I thought, she's got amazing out of beauty. Um, I was so love-spitting over her, uh, like with a lot of guys, um, anything, any qualities about her that were negative, I was like blind to it. If she'd boss me around, I'd be like, wow, she has great leadership skills. Look at that. God! What a quality, what a spiritual gift from what leadership. Um, or if she'd yell at me, I wouldn't be like, oh, she's got a temper. I'd be like, oh, she's sassy. Strong personality. Um, And if you'd say something like brutally honest, I was talking with a congregate member last week and my wife comments a lot about my weight. She's very brutally honest. Not to other people, to me, about my weight. She says she does it because she loves me um, because she cares for my health. Um, But when she was like, "Oh, Jay, you need to lose some weight. Wow, the honesty in this woman. What an honest woman. Cannot even lie. Yes. And then when she'd yell at me, if I did something wrong, like, wow, powerful voice. This is the kind of voice I want my wife to discipline my future children with. Uh, everything. I put a positive spin on it. All her negative qualities. And from the moment we began dating up until the day we got married, I used to read 1 Corinthians 13. And I'd read verses 4 to 7 of today's passage. I thought, you know what? as a future husband and spiritual leader to my wife, I have to live out verses 4 to 7. I have to show her the embodiment of verses 4 to 7 in today's passage. And at the time, it seemed quite possible for me. I was very very patient. I was extremely kind. Like I hate being late to stuff. Um, When you're married, you will always be late to everything. Um, But I hate being late... I love being like 15, 20 minutes early. Uh, the problem is my wife hates waiting, so she doesn't like going to places 15, 20 minutes early. So we have to find this middle ground. Um, but I was extremely patient, extremely kind. Even if she got angry, I was like, don't retaliate. Don't show her Show her this agape love, Jay. I never showed my frustration or anger when we were dating. I never raised my voice. She'd yell at me. Keep a gentle tone. No, let's let's be logical about this. I was very careful with how I spoke to her or treated her. No matter what I did, Jay, show her grace through your actions and words. Show her agape love. Um, the problem is, uh, is I'm hu- I'm human. Uh, anyone that finds out or oh, anyone that gets married will find you have limits. Uh, everyone's got limits. And you can only demonstrate grace and love so much before your sinful side starts to be like, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> Who are you kidding? Why, what, like for the rest of my life I have to do this? Why do I have to be the guy that always gets knocked down and has to take it on the chin? And I realized that whilst on the outside my love or grace that I demonstrated to my wife, whilst it might have looked like an agape love on the outside, the truth was, was that no matter how I tried to hide it, on the inside it really was a conditional worldly kind of love. Now often they may look very similar to each other, so much so that we might even ask why can't phileo or agape love be enough? Why can't worldly love be enough? If you look at unbelieving couples that don't go to church, that don't know Christ, their marriage is doing fine. Why can't worldly eros or phileo love be enough? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a hint. Because when he talks about agape love in verse 8, he says, love never ends. Or more specifically, agape love ends. Never ends. Agape love is forever. And what this implies is that, as beautiful as verses 4 to 7 are, this kind of love does not and cannot find its origin in the human heart. Why? Because Agape love is forever, but humanity is not forever. Humanity is temporary in terms of its ex- existence. And even more temporal when it comes to emotions. Everything about man is fleeting and will pass away. And if the origins of love for this person finds itself in the human heart, then this too is a love that's going to pass away. But Paul isn't talking about this kind of unstable, temporal, fleeting love that's going to pass away because in verse 8 he describes that the love that he's talking about is a love that never ends. Man can pass away, and with it their abilities to speak, think, and act can pass away. But this love in verses 4-7, to Paul says, is an eternal love. The gospel teaches that true love, agape love, that is eternal, must come from outside of us, not from human origins, but outside of us, if it is to be eternal. Unlike the Corinthian church that had fallen into the habit of speaking, thinking, and acting without love, through the gospel, the word of God reveals to us a savior. Because remember those three functions, speak, think, and act, that Paul t- touches on on the first three verses. We find a savior that speaks to us in love by calling us to himself through repentance and faith, speaks grace and agape love over anyone that would believe in him. We find through Christ a saviour that not only speaks, but thinks of us. Scripture teaches us that from before Genesis 1-1, before the creation of the world, he knew us. He was thinking of us. As Christ went to the cross, you were in his thoughts. And we find through the gospel that not only speaking, not only thinking, but we find the greatest action of any human in history. As Christ, the perfect God-man, demonstrates the greatest action and demonstration of love by taking God's wrath, God's judgment for us, and bearing it all upon himself as he goes to the cross in god we find the true agape love so much so that john writes in his epistle not that jesus demonstrates perfect love but that god in his essence is love the love we must demonstrate isn't a love that has its origins in the human heart but a love that begins with god and for the disciple of Jesus, if we're to demonstrate this agape love that begins with God, then we have to realize that this is only possible when we ourselves have been transformed first by this agape love. Now, I became a Christian in 2007 at the age of 21. And since the age of 21, I have heard many preachers preachers preach on 1 Corinthians 13. And when they got to the application, they would say the same thing that I just said to you earlier. We need to love with an agape kind of love. We need to be transformed by God's agape love. And for me, if I'm to be honest, uh, that sounds good. And it probably is the right application to exegete from this passage. Um, But for me, it wasn't ever really practical to say that. And what I mean is that every time I would hear someone say this, it would leave a question lingering in my heart. How? How do you do this? Like, if agape love doesn't begin, it doesn't have human origins, if it begins with God and not with me, then how am I meant to love with agape love? And some people will try to help me. Like when I had that question, I would say, okay, I get that God's love is different. We're to love with the love that God demonstrates to us. How are you meant to do that? And people would say, ah, look to Jesus. What, like this? Like, Like, how do you look to Jesus? What what does that even mean? My friends, I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon, for him, if you asked him what define love for me, if you asked him a few years ago, he would have pointed to his family, and he would have said, "If you see the heart I have for my family, that's that's love. If you see the love that my wife has for me, that's love." The problem, though, is if you ask him now, he has a very shattered view on love, which is expected that despite having invested the last two, three decades of his life to provide for every need that his wife and children had. Despite being the best husband and father that he could possibly be, I don't think he could point to that now and say, that is a perfect love. And so when I look to my friend and I read 1 Corinthians 13, Now people used to say, you just need to look to Christ. I don't think I could dangle that in front of my friend's face and say, oh, this is what you're missing. Just need to do this. And so I want to end my sermon with a third point to entitle or share what I think the answer is to help us in this endeavour to be transformed by God's agape love and to demonstrate God's agape love that is to be reminded that you are the object, always the object of God's agape love. Let me read out the whole passage as a whole. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Up until 2007, before I became a Christian, uh, I was an atheist. And I became a Christian by reading 2, or 2 Samuel rather, 6 and 7, uh, King David dancing in his underwear before Israel. Uh, And for some reason, that passage just lit something in my head and made me realize that there is a creator God that exists. And that I'd lived 21 years of my life up until that point offending Him, sinning against Him, living in total opposite of what He'd commanded humanity uh, to pursue and how to live. And I remember. There was no logical explanation as to why I was a really devout atheist. And then in an instant, just something switched in my head. But I remember as that truth dawned upon me that there is a Creator God, uh, the thought of how I'd lived for the prior 21 years of my life began to horrify me. I'd been living as a complete enemy of God. I was a sinner... On a monumental scale. Like even to today, I know God's grace covers everything. If I were to share some of the things I did when I was younger, I would be embarrassed to share with you, even to my wife. And I remember in that moment, as I thought about 21 years living as an absolute pagan, the worst of the worst, thought, how could God ever accept? Someone like me. And I began weeping. I was on a bus, 525 bus from Parramatta to Olympic Park. And I began weeping on the bus uncontrollably. Because I thought, there is a God, there is Christ. And the only life that makes sense if this God and Christ exist is to follow them live a life devoted to them. But what kept crushing my heart was, will this God allow someone like me to be a follower of him? If I were me, if I were God, I don't think I would allow someone like me to follow him. And I began weeping. And then I remembered the gospel that so many people had shared with me the gospel that revealed that no matter how I lived up until that point, that God had tailored enough grace to cover all my sins, past, present, and future. That no matter how I'd lived up until that point, that in that moment, I was the object of God's limitless, unconditional Agape love. This pure, divine love, when I thought about it, it seemed like a fantasy. It's too good to be true. But if it's in God's word, it must be true. And as I slowly started to accept that this must be true because God promised it, and if it's true, this is my only hope. I remember on that bus, it was like only in like the span of five ten minutes, I felt the crushing weight of my sin lift up off my shoulders. And my tears of anguish began being replaced by tears of joy. And I prayed to God in that moment that if this is true, I would devote my life to him. It's the greatest love. the Love that transforms people forever, no matter what stage of life they're in. And we are in this season of Christmas on Christmas Eve. And I I preached at the primary school camp earlier this week, and one of the things I shared was, you know, we we make Christmas about a lot of things. We make it about Santa. We make it about gift-giving. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, But what Christmas, first and foremost, is, it's a celebration. It's a celebration that despite who we are, that God would fulfill all the promises from the Old Testament. To kickstart this rescue mission of salvation. To save us from our sin. Save us from ourselves. And save us from him. Why? You're the object of God's love. I don't know what kind of disappointments you've had when it comes to relationships. Uh, I've grown up with just so many people that I respected that I became disappointed in. Um, I had broken relationships in my life at every level. Um, I had a broken relationship with my father for decades. I had a broken relationship with my sister. Uh, When my parents split up, I remember pretty much every relationship I had with Korean people became broken because back then when I grew up, divorce was like the unthinkable sin. And then if you get divorced... Other parents wouldn't allow their children to play with you because it's like you're the kid, you're the you're the children of divorced parents. That so there must be something wrong with them. And if there's something wrong with them, there's something wrong with you. And so I had broken relationships on so many levels. I got treated like I was a virus growing up uh, by other children and parents. And do you know what? I knew about one Corinthians thirteen before I became a Christian. I knew how beautiful it sounded but before I'd been transformed by it. That's all it was. A beautiful description. A description that sounded too good to be true. But what we have in the cross is the seal and guarantee that it is true. That it's not a far away love that has nothing to do with you, but it is the free gift of God to be received by grace through faith signed and sealed by the blood of Jesus. Don't ever say it's too good to be true. So if we're to read 1 Corinthians 13, knowing that this is God's love for me, then what a tragedy it would be to live a loveless life, to not be transformed by this radical love. What a tragedy it would be to travel or Rather, attend a loveless church or travel the futile road thinking that the answer to lovelessness is to be found in the human heart. This love can only be found in Christ. So as I conclude today's sermon, I'll just recap on the three points. Agape love is what gives true meaning to our lives. Number two, agape love is humanly impossible Because we don't find its origins in the human heart. And number three. During this Christmas season, I hope you are reminded that you, no matter how you've lived up until this point, you are the object of God's agape love. Remember that. Remind yourselves. If you're married, remind your husband, remind your wife, remind your children that they are... The object of God's agape love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you lavish upon this world, a different kind of love that even if in our pride humanity chooses to reject you chooses not to follow you Lord we all know deep down that there is a yearning within the depths of our hearts for this kind of unconditional love and so Lord I pray for full life that during this Christmas season as we celebrate Christmas through gift giving through a time spent with family that we would be reminded that Christmas is a celebration of the incarnation of King Jesus where he takes on the form of man that whilst being fully God he becomes a fully man to live the life that we couldn't live die the death we were meant to die and to rise again, conquering death, so that when it comes to your love for us, that all we have to do is just trust in Christ, to be recipients of this unwavering, unshakable love. So Lord, I pray during this Christmas season, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we've experienced in 2023, that we would be reminded once again that we are the object of your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.